Howdy, Biltmore Church. How are we doing this morning? Doing okay? Good. If you got your Bibles, and I hope you do, Matthew chapter 25 is where we're going to dive in. And uh, as we continue, as you continue in this year of the Bible, what a great idea. What a great idea in a world right now that seems to be falling apart every week that you would spend an entire year just being grounded on the good news of the rock of the gospel of Jesus Christ that will never, ever change. Amen? And a part of the reason I want to go to Matthew chapter 25, we're going to study what's called the parable of the talents. If you're new to Bible study, I'll explain what all that means in just a little while. But Biltmore Church, you are a five-talent church. You are. I know you don't think about it that way because this is just your church. You got up this morning and you fought on the way here and then lied to the ushers when you walked in the door when they said, how you doing this morning? And you're like, we're just blessed and highly favored. I understand. I have a family and I go to church too. But what God is doing in this church is not normal. You've had over 250 people surrender their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ just this year. That's not normal. You're going to baptize hopefully hundreds of people next week. That's not normal. The kind of love that you're pouring out onto this community, that's not normal. This is a five-talent church. And also, I hope and I pray you know this, you have a five-talent pastor. I know you know he's a great preacher. I know you know he's a great leader. I know that you know he is a great vision caster, but I just need you to know this, man. He is a great man. This past year, we went some, through some stuff at my house. Now, if you're a parent of teenagers, you would probably hear my story and think, that's just normal. But when it happens in your house, it doesn't feel normal. And of all the people on the planet, I called Pastor Bruce was one of my first calls. And he dropped everything. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes pastors need a pastor, and your pastor has been my pastor. And so can we just give honor to your pastor, Pastor Bruce Frank. Praise God for that. So... <clears throat> I'm excited to dive in. We're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, and the Bible says this, for it, and the it there, what Jesus is doing is he's answering a question from the disciples in Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew 24, the disciples come to Jesus, and they say to him, essentially, boss, what's the end of the world going to be like? And so Jesus begins to lay out some of the precursors to his return. And he talks about wars and rumors of wars, and he talks about the abomination of desolation and things like that. And I think the disciples are looking at him like, look, you're looking at me like, what is he talking about? And so he goes, okay, 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 this is a bit over your head. So here's how you get ready for the end of times. And he tells three parables back to back to back. He's going to tell the, tell the parable of the virgins, the parable of the talents, and the parable of the sheep and goats. And ultimately, the point of the parables is this. The first one is don't miss the party. That there will come a day when Jesus returns and the party begins and the invitations are over. So receive the invitation before he returns. Don't miss the party. And then he's going to tell the parable that we're going to spend our time on, which is essentially this, don't waste your life. And then the third one is that we should, as believers in Jesus, be conduits of the goodness and grace of God, not call the sacks of it. In other words, the way we love one another is evidence of our love for Jesus Christ. So that's what he is talking about, the end of times. And he says this, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Whose property? All right, sorry to wake you up. Whose property? His property. First and foremost, what we need to know to understand Matthew 25 is everything we have is a blood-brought grace gift from Jesus Christ. Everything we have. Every dollar, every opportunity, our relationships, the education that you have, Everything we have is a blood-bought grace gift from Jesus Christ, and at best, we are stewards of it. We are managers of it. 
I, I, don't, I don't know if you realize this, but the death rate in America hovers right around 100%. That's it. That means every single one of us, one day, we're all going to die and stand before our judge. And they're going to dig a hole, put us in it, throw dirt in our face, come back to the church, eat potato salad, and talk about what a great guy you are. Okay, that's what's going to happen. And everything God let you manage right now will either bring you reward or regret. Everything. And the way we manage that says a whole lot about who we believe Jesus to be in our lives. Everything we have is a blood-bought grace gift from God. Anybody remember what a fidget spinner? Remember those dumb things? I think they make you dumber, okay? And so my kid, he must have got way dumb because he wanted to buy a bunch of these. It was just a little thing, and you would spin it and spin it and spin it. One day we're standing in line at Walmart, and my son, JP, says to me, he goes, Daddy, uh, I want to buy a fidget spinner. I'm like, no, it's stupid. It's a waste of money. No. And he goes, well, I'll use my money. Ha, what do you mean your money? He was like, eight. Well, you don't have money. I have money, and sometimes I let you hold some of my money. He said, no, 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 but it's in my room. Hold on, son. You don't have a room. Your mom and I have a house, and right now we let you live in one of our rooms, and one day you're going to move out and you ain't coming back. All right, do you understand? (laughs) It is the same with the Lord. Everything we have is a blood-bought grace gift from him. And he says, so... It will be like a man who was going on a journey. He called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his ability. Now what you need to understand is the word talent here doesn't mean what we think it means when we think about talent. Talent was a measure of money in the first century. And it was the equivalent of 20 years wages. In today's economy, it would be roughly a talent is like a million dollars. So he gave one man five million. And he gave another man two million. And he gave another man one million, each according to his ability. And I know some of you may think, well, that's not fair. Well, jot this down, darling. Fairness is not a biblical value. You don't want fair. God does what he wants with who he wants, when he wants, because he's the sovereign king of the universe, period, end dot. That's just it. And so he gives one five, gives one two, gives one one. And then he went away. And he who had received the five talents went at once. And traded with them and made five talents more. He went at once. And notice what the next guy does. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. Now, what the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy did not do is they spent zero time comparing themselves to everybody else. One of the, one of the, 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 the greatest cripplers of what God has in store for you is the comparison trap. Because when we compare ourselves to everybody else, it's always a lose-lose proposition. Sometimes you compare yourself to other people and you feel a lot better about yourself. And pride begins to rise up in you. And that is not from the Heavenly Father. Pride is like the granddaddy of all sins. It got Satan kicked out of heaven. And sometimes we compare ourselves to other people And we feel this sense of condemnation that we would never live up to these other folks. And the Bible says, therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the big problem with comparison is that we always compare what we know about ourselves to what we don't know about somebody else. And I'm going to tell you, we all have a tendency to compare ourselves to one another. And these things are killing us. Because what we can do is wake up in the morning, and before we ever look to see what the Word of God says about us, we begin to scroll through what everybody else is doing and compare our unfiltered life to their filtered life. You realize everybody's Instagram page is a lie. You know that? 
I mean, listen, I live at the beach in Jacksonville. I've never seen a happy family at the beach. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> never once. But everybody's beach photos are incredible. And you go to the beach and everything's going fine and you're having fun until the, the dummies from Ohio come and start feeding the seagulls and then there goes fun. Do you understand what I'm saying? And here's how I know this to be true. Years ago, this is probably like four or five years ago, we were coming home from Disney. We're Disney people, okay? We're about two hours away from Disney, and so we go several times a year. We take our family. And in our house, in the Martin household, we have two kinds of travel. We have a trip and we have vacations. If the kids come, it's a trip. If it's just me and mama, it's a vacation. You understand? So the trip is very Presbyterian, all right? It's very orderly. All the elects come. We know what we're going to do. And the vacation is kind of Pentecostal. There's a lot of speaking in tongues and laying on hands. Glory to God. You understand what I'm saying? So, <laughs> anyway. Is that too much? I don't know. I'm a, I'm a guest here. So we went on a trip to Disney. <clears throat> and on the way home from Disney, my wife is scrolling through Instagram. And she says, look at this. And she finds my son's Instagram page. And so I took a shot of this, of what he said. We're going to put it up on the screen. Okay, here it is. All right. His name, his, his, uh, his, his Instagram handle is jpmartin7757. All right, he's the fourth. Joseph Perry Martin the fourth. I'm the third. My dad's junior. I was almost junior, junior. That happens where I'm from, okay? And so we're really into us at my house. We name everybody after me. And so he says this, coming back from Disney today with the best family ever. You hear those mamas? Aw. Okay. Yeah, we didn't make him do this at all. And, and honestly, if you look at this photo, if you think that's our life, we look like the best family ever. I mean, there we are. There's Reagan Capri, my little beautiful blonde bombshell. Okay, I think she's eight years old in this picture. She says she loves Jesus. We have yet to see the fruit of that conversion, but we're believing all things are possible. There's my little son, little studly with his hair parted and his glasses looking all awesome. There's my wife, Gretchen. She's beautiful she sings on our worship team and she has her she has her head nuzzled against my well chiseled shoulder look at that best family ever let me tell you what's actually happening moments before the professional photographer at disney took that photo this photo is taken at a place called the hoop-de-doo okay the hoop-de-doo is kind of like disney's version of hee-haw and so in order to get from where you couldn't get there from where we were you had to get on a bus to get on a bus to get on a bus and while we were on one of the buses just crammed all together it began to pour down rain, and we weren't prepared. So when we got off under the buses, I run into one of the Disney stores to buy ponchos for our families. They're 16 bucks a poncho. You open it up, it's a trash bag with a hole in the head. I need a hole in my head for paying 16 bucks for a poncho. And apparently they were reused, and the ones that we got, the families died and rotted in because they smelled like death when we opened them up. So we get them all on, and then we're in line for our free photo, right, at the happiest place on earth. (laughs) I ain't seen a happy person at Disney ever one time. But anyway, we're there. And while we're in line, my son, JP, says, Dad, my head is killing me. And I'm like, bro, you're killing me. We were just in the room with all the supplies. Why didn't you tell us in? And he's like, I don't know. He was in middle school there. That's all he could say. I don't know. And so JP and I go on a scavenger hunt to find some Advil. And so we go looking around, we find this little general store, and I find this little box of something. My eyes aren't good enough to read like the fine print, so on the big print, it just says fever reducer. Well, he doesn't have a fever. I don't know if this is going to work or not, but it's all I can find. So I take a picture of it, and I send it to Gretchen. Hey, babe, will this work? No reply. Hey, will this work? No reply. Then I sent some version of how come when I'm with you, all you do is look at your phone, but when I'm not, you don't answer a text. It's a small world after all, is it not? 
So I get the fever reducer. We get in line. I'm like, here, eat it. He's like, I don't have water. I'm like, then chew it. And so he's crunching through his ibuprofen. And then it's finally our turn to be up there. And you can imagine, okay, he was 12. She was 8 at that point. And so he's like poking on her. And she's like, stop, stop. And he's in sixth grade. So he's like, what, what? That's all he can say. And I'm like, well, you guys stop. Keep your hands to yourself. Gretchen, get off your phone and get over here for the picture. Three, two, one, snap. Best family ever. <laughs> you see, when we compare ourselves, we always compare what we know about ourselves to what we don't know about everybody else. That, that God knew exactly what he was doing when he called you, when he created you, when he purposed you. And one of the best things that you can do, one of the most God-glorifying things that you can do is be the you that God created you to be and quit comparing yourself to everybody else that God created. So, also, the two-talent man made two talents more. But the one who had received the one talent, he went and he dug, he dug in the ground and he hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts. Built more church, every single one of us one day will stand before the Lord and settle accounts. And be a held, we will be held accountable to what he has called us to do. And he who had received the five talents came forward. Of course he did. He's pumped, man. He can't wait for the master to get back because he gave him five talents, and he's doubled it. Maybe you've been there. Like your boss has been on vacation for two weeks, and, and while he was gone, you said it, you settled the biggest account in, in your company's history. When the boss gets back, who's in the office? Got coffee, got the paper. You're like, hey, how was your vacation? Ask me about my week. You want to give good news. This is what's happening. He runs to him immediately, and he would receive the five talents, came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, now notice where he starts. Master, you delivered to me five talents. He starts with gratitude. He starts with, I don't know what I did to deserve it. I couldn't have done what I did without you. Thank you for what you have given me. And then bringing five talents more, he says, here. And here is like, here you go. Here, I have made five talents more, and his master said to him, this is important, well done, good and faithful servant. Not well intentioned, not well prayed over. I am pro-prayer, unless you use prayer as an excuse to not do what the master has told you to do. I just need you to know this. We serve a God that gets things done. The Bible does not say, for God so loved the world that he prayed about it. That he hoped something would happen. No, no, no. God so loved the world that he gave. Aren't you glad that when Jesus Christ pushed up on the cross on his nail-pierced feet, he didn't say, hope this works. He says, it is finished. It has been done. Intentions are useless. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, writes a, a book in our Bible. And by the way, if you're on the fence on this whole Jesus thing, let me just give you this, okay? Ponder this. Jesus' brother James believed that Jesus was the resurrected Christ, the Son of God. Think about that. Think about it this way. Anybody got a brother? If you got a brother, raise your hand. Raise it high. Okay. What would it take for you to be convinced that your brother is God? I got a brother. And if he came to me and he was like, hey, bro, behold, I'm the Son of God. I was like, I don't think so, Scooter. We grew up together. But James believed post-resurrection that Jesus is who he says he is. And here's what he writes. James says this, James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself, all right? 
be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And then he gives a, an illustration. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. What he's saying is, you don't get credit for the assessment. You get credit for what you do about it. Every single one of us did the same thing today. You woke up this morning and you looked in a mirror and you made an assessment. And you did not abdicate responsibility for what you saw. Every single one of us looked in the mirror and we thought, Houston, there's a problem. We got to do something about this before I go out in public. Now, I know there's always a couple of you be like, not me. We can tell. <laughs> and you should be in a disciple group, okay? You should join a group because you, you need some help. But for most of us, we don't abdicate it. We don't be, we're not like, Martha, we need new pillows. Look what it's doing in my face. No, 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 no. You stood in the mirror and you do something about it until you feel like you could go out in public. And if you didn't, if you didn't, after maybe not one time, but after a long time, it would begin to show up. And hopefully there would be people in your life that would love you enough to walk up to you and be like, hey, are you feeling okay? Like, yeah, I feel great. Are you sure? Did you lose your job? Are you living indoors? I mean, are you trying to grow dreads just on this side? Like, what's happening here? And if you were like, oh, 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 you mean this. Oh, well, I looked in the mirror. You go, well, look, you don't get credit for looking. You have to do something about it. The opposite is also true. This is creepy, so don't think about it too much. But if all of us at all the campuses were in your bedroom this morning when you woke up and we saw what James calls your natural face. And then we left and we came here and saw you walk in church. We would look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. So you don't get credit for intentions. Let me tell you what's never happened in the history of church. You've never walked up to church and somebody would be like, girl, look at you, looking good. Did you lose some weight? And you're like, yeah, I, I got a gym membership. Well, you go to the gym. No, I don't go. I just got a membership and then put out. Look at me now. Nope. No, you got to do something about it. So this is, this is what this man hears. The five-talent man hears this. Well done. Let me just ask you this. What is God calling you to do? What is God calling you to do? The five-talent man goes at once because delayed obedience is disobedience. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now notice what he says. He does not say, well done, good and fruitful servant. Because you're not judged based on your fruitfulness, but on your faithfulness. And don't miss this. Don't miss this. The reason that he hears, well done, good and faithful servant, is not necessarily because of things of, that he has done, but he finished, I mean, he, he believed, he trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And because he believed that when Christ died on the cross, it counted for him, it changed everything about what he decided to do with his life. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. They get the exact same blessing. Why? Because God is not comparing you to anyone else. That God is just evaluating you based on the you he created you to be. Verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward. If, if, this, if this parable had a soundtrack, the music changes here. Dun, dun, dun. He says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. That's the key to understanding this passage. 
So I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. You see, what we find out here is the one-talent guy, his problem was that he was paralyzed by fear. Did you know that the opposite of faith is not doubts? It's not. The opposite of faith is not doubt. In fact, if you've got a whole lot of doubt, if you've got a bunch of unanswered questions, if you can't figure out creation and Noah's Ark and all of those kinds of things, I've got some really good news for you. If you've got a bunch of doubts, you can make a really, really great disciple. You know how I know? Have you ever read through the Gospels? They were full of unanswered questions. The disciples had no idea often what was going on. In fact, on the very first Easter, the biggest doubt they had was the resurrection itself. There's one guy named Doubting Thomas, and he made it in. If you've got a lot of doubts, just here's what you do with your doubts. Pick up your doubts, follow after Jesus. That's it. Pick up your doubts, pick up your unanswered questions, and you just follow after Jesus. And then one day, all of your doubts go away. Not like next Tuesday, but one day, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, one day you will go to heaven. And in heaven, nobody doubts. In heaven, faith becomes sight. In heaven, nobody's going to come to you and be like, do you believe in Jesus? You'd be like, well, he's sitting right there. You can ask him yourself. He's the shiny one on the throne, okay? The opposite of faith is not doubts. The opposite of faith is fear. Because fear paralyzes, and faith produces action. Fear is putting your faith in your circumstances. And faith is putting your faith in the sovereign king of the universe. And so the reason that this guy hides what God has given him is because he was afraid. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. All right. Now, if I am the, if I am the attorney for the one talent man, it is at this point where I say, uh, objection, your honor. My, my client is not slothful. In fact, he's been working his fingers to the bone. You gave him, you gave him a talent. You gave him like a million dollars, and you didn't put it on a debit card. You gave it to him in like shekels or denarii. He had to go to Lowe's and rent a truck and then come back and find a piece of property and then go back to Lowe's because you can never go once and get a wheelbarrow and then go and dig a hole the size of this stage and then take all these coins and go hide them and then cover them up, put a palm tree up there so nobody else. These other two guys, they went and invested it in the stock market and they've been sitting in a, in a Bible study for the last eight months waiting on you. They've been doing nothing, but my client has been working his fingers to the bone. And yet Jesus calls him wicked and slothful. Here's the thing, though, church. Oftentimes we get busy with the comfortable so as to avoid the faithful. We get real busy with church activity to avoid taking a faith step with Jesus. We get real busy with our hobbies and we get lazy with our relationships. We get real busy at work and we get lazy with our faith. We get busy entertaining ourselves and we get lazy loving one another as Christ loved us. We get busy building our brand online and we get real lazy making disciples. You see, this guy was afraid, so he went and hid. Let me ask you this. What has Christ asked you to do? And out of fear, instead of immediately walking in obedience, you went and you hid that thing. Maybe it's a relationship that he's called you to reconcile. Maybe it's being generous with the resources that he has given you. Maybe it's getting baptized. And 
The first time you heard about the baptism service next week, you know that you know that you know that your Lord was telling you that's the next step of obedience you need to take. And you know you're supposed to do it, but you're afraid. You're afraid what your hair is going to look like or what people will say. Or you got baptized when you were a little baby because your parents wanted you to do that. And what will they think? All of those things. And now you're beginning to believe all of the fears instead of in obedience, step out by faith. And to that, Jesus says, you wicked and slothful servant. He says, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He, he did not send this man to the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth because of what he did or did not do. He sent him to that place because he did not know the master. And the way that he lived his life was evidence that he knew the master. So Biltmore Church, let me just encourage you. Whatever you do, whatever you do, don't waste your life. Don't waste your time and don't waste your money. Don't waste your talents. Don't waste the opportunities that you have. But use everything that the Lord has given you. Use all of your treasure to treasure Christ before anything else on this planet. Because we live in a world that spends billions of dollars a day to get you to take one more ride on the merry-go-round of normality. And you ask anybody that's done that long enough, and one day, one day, every single one of us wake up and we go, is this it? Is this it? Because I feel like I've spent my whole life just wake up in the morning, eat something, drive something, go to work, sell something, drive home, watch something, go to sleep. Again and again and again. And the biggest prayer is, thank God it's Friday. If that's your biggest prayer, then you're not doing life right. God has called us to join in the work of the master, to take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ for his renown, for his glory, to the very ends of the earth. And that could be that God calls you to the Congo, or he may call you to the carpool line. By the way, carpool is way more dangerous than the Congo. (laughs) A long time ago, a mentor of mine asked me this question. He said, He said, if you could do anything for the glory of God and you knew it wouldn't fail, what would you do? If you could do anything for the glory of God and you knew it wouldn't fail, what would you do? And the moment you know the answer to that, then the next question is, then why are you not doing it? Why are you not doing it? So let me ask you, what is that for you? For me, if I could do anything for the glory of God and I knew it wouldn't fail, I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd plant a church in Jacksonville, Florida. And now... You may look and go, well, didn't you already do that? Yeah, and it's going really good. And it, and, it, and it may look easy to say that on this end, but I can promise you as we were going into it, it didn't feel easy. It felt like if this thing doesn't work, I don't know what I am going to do. But that's what it means to walk by faith, to say, Master, I trust you. I trust you with everything that I have been given. So what is that for you? Maybe there is something, some opportunity, some relationship 
Maybe it's being generous with your resources. Maybe it's sharing your faith with somebody that lives across the street with you. Maybe it's picking up the phone and calling that person that you have been sideways with for a very, very long time. Maybe it's stepping in to volunteer in a ministry. Maybe it's signing up to get baptized next week. And God brought me here to tell you, take your shovel, go dig it back up, bring it to the master and say, I want to leverage this and risk this for your glory and not rooted in my fear. Now here's what's just true. The real preacher here is the Holy Spirit. And if you'll listen to him, I promise you, he will tell you what your next step is. You know, as I was thinking and praying about this, I just began to think through who is a five-talent person that I've met? And it's pretty easy to come up with this one. Um, And especially around here, you're going to love this. Years ago, I got the opportunity to have dinner with Dr. Billy Graham. Okay? And so, listen, of all the humans on the planet that I ever wanted to meet, that was the guy. Especially these days where so many ministries are marked by scandal and all of this. I mean, a man that spends his whole life with such character and integrity to the very end. And so I was actually on a mission trip. And a guy from the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, a doctor, is a member at our church. And so he called me up. And he's like, Pastor, I need you to pray about something. Um, would you like to come over to our home and have dinner with Billy Graham? I'm like, bro, some things you don't pray about. Yes, of course I would. And so I had about a week or ten days like leading up to it. And so I'm getting pumped. I, I, I reread a biography of Dr. Graham, you know. I was listening to a bunch of his old sermons and stuff. And, um, and, I, and I'll never forget, we pull up to this doctor's house and then... There's Billy Graham getting out of the car. He had a travel companion with him. It was just him and Dr. Graham and a nurse, and that was it. And then uh, we walk into the home, and I get introduced to Billy Graham. Hi, Dr. Graham. I'm, I'm Joe B. Martin. And he says to me, he goes, well, pastor, tell me about your church. And I thought, ah. <laughs> he called me pastor. Billy Graham called me. I looked at Gretchen. I was like, hey, but he just called me pastor. She said, he probably can't remember your name. I'm like, woman, come on. Are you being serious right now? And so in his book, he said, um, he, he, he said one of the greatest days of his life, he was a kid, went to a baseball game, and he got to meet like Joe DiMaggio or something like that. And he, and he said, you'll never forget that moment. And I said, Dr. Graham, this moment is like that moment for me. In order to sit with you and just be here with you. And, and, and what was crazy, man, he, just, he would just receive that and then turn all the questions back to me. He says, well, pastor, just tell me a little about your church. I've heard God is doing wonderful things. And we had just come off a really great weekend. I was like, yes, sir, actually, uh, we just baptized 126 people in the ocean. We live at the beach, so we do our, our baptisms in the ocean. And I said, yes, sir, we, we just baptized like 126 people. And he was physically shocked. He, he sat back and he went, wow, well, I've never heard of such a thing. It's like, you know what, I kind of think you have. Um, I kind of think you have. Because in 1975 in Seoul, Korea, in one night, 75,000 people surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so I don't think you'd be impressed with our little 126 in Jacksonville Beach. But you know what he never did? Never once did he spend any time, effort, or energy comparing his generational, global, worldwide ministry to the little thing we were doing down in Jacksonville. He just treated the thing that we were doing as if God had called us to do that, and he celebrated it and glorified Jesus in the little things that we were doing. Then we sit down at the table, 
and he's sitting right here. I mean, he's right here, and I'm here at the table. And I mean, we were there for like five or six hours. And it was just the, the husband and wife that owned the home, one of their children, and then the two people that traveled with him, my wife, me, and Billy Graham. And I'm trying to like touch his knee, trying to get it on me a little bit, you know what I'm saying? Like just. <laughs> and he looks over at my wife, Gretchen, and he says, well, ma'am, I understand you lead worship. My wife's one of the singers in our worship team. She's super shy, man. She's a flaming introvert. He's like, she says, uh, yes, sir. And he, and he says, well, could you sing me a song? And she looks at me, and I'm like, look, woman, you better get up. <laughs> Billy says, sing, you better sing, okay? And so she gets up, and she walks around me. His hearing at that point had, had diminished quite a bit, and she kneels down, and she's like right by the side of his head, and she just starts singing and singing. And I would sing it for you, but it ruined the whole thing. But I, and she's just singing, and, and Dr. Graham closes his eyes like this, and he just, le- just lifts one hand in the air. And she looks at me, and I do that thing that lead pastors do when it's going good. I'm like, just keep it going. The bus is awake. You know what I mean? Let's, let's go, baby. And then when she gets done singing, he, he pulls down his hand, and he looks at her dead in the eye, and he goes, I believe that's the most beautiful song I've ever heard. And I'm like, look, baby, you can sing. I ain't saying you can't sing, but Billy's heard some people. You understand what I'm saying? He's heard everybody that's ever sung in Christianity. But here's the thing, man. He never spent any time comparing their voices to my wife's voice. He was just in that moment for the glory of God, just encouraging her to be who God had called her to be. And so as we're kind of wrapping up, I said, uh, uh, Dr. Graham, would you pray for us? Would you pray for our ministry? Pray for our church? Pray for our ministry? And so he grabbed my hand. He grabbed Gretchen's hand. And he said, dear God, protect this man from himself. And I thought, have you been talking to my wife? (laughs) And y'all, here's the thing, man. He prayed for us, and he prayed for our marriage. He never mentioned the ministry. And when he said amen, he looked right in my eyes, and he said, you love your wife, you make disciples, Jesus will build his church. You love your wife, you make disciples, and Jesus will build his church. And he said amen. And before the night was over, I said, Dr. Graham, if you could preach one more revival, one more crusade, what would that be? And I mean, without hesitating, he said, oh, I would preach on Galatians 6, 14. And I went, mmm, mmm, Galatians, mmm. That's what people that don't, don't know how to say amen do. Y'all ever, people at our church, moo. I say something good, and they go, mmm. So I'm over there mooing, mmm, Galatians. I didn't even know what Galatians 6, 14 says. I don't have the whole thing memorized yet, so I'm over there, mm, but he couldn't see that good, so I got my phone, mm, Galatians 6, I bring it over here, bring up my Bible app. <laughs> Think about these words in light of who this man is. Far be it for me to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If anybody could boast... Anybody could boast of what they have done for Christ. It would be this man. And the the sermon that was on the edge of his lips was this. Far be it for me to boast in anything but the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because I've been crucified this world and this world to me. And on February the 21st, 2018, Dr. Graham breathed his last And with his next breath, he was standing in the very presence of his Lord and Savior. 
and he heard these words. Billy, well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And the reason that he heard those words is not because he led more people to, any, to Christ than any other human on the planet. The reason that he heard those words is because he surrendered his life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And because he had surrendered his life to the lordship of Jesus Christ, he took every talent, he took every opportunity that he had to make much of Jesus. And Jesus decided to use him as a five-talent man. Here's my question for you. What about you? What about you? Sometimes in church, we'll hear people say, well, he's going to be the next Billy Graham. I hope not. We don't need another Billy Graham. God made Billy Graham to be who he was and then brought him home. We need you to just be the you that God came up with when he came up with the idea of you. The question is, are you living by fear or are you living by faith? Have you been gripped with fear and you need to go get that talent that God has given you? You need to dig it up, bring it to him and say, here you go, Lord, I'll risk it all for your glory. I'll hop off of the merry-go-round of normality that this world spends billions of dollars a day to try to get us to be comfortable on, and I want to not waste my life, not waste an opportunity, not waste a dime, a dollar, or a day, all for your glory. So that one day, one day, if you know Jesus, whether you're a five-talent person or a two-talent person, that we would hear the same thing that Dr. Graham heard. Well done, good, and faithful servant. Biltmore Church, I pray, I pray that the Spirit of God gives you the courage and the power and the faith to do what the Master has commanded you to do.